have Greg Mulchan with us this morning. He is the founder and director and leader of the Grand Rapids Dream Center. So Greg's been with us before. So would you give him a reload warm welcome this morning as he comes to share. Awesome. Well, I think we're going to start out the morning with a, a little bit of a video. So if, if that works out, let's do it. Otherwise, we'll just jump in. Come from a very poor family in terms of, you know, our family unit. Um, uh, just, you know, it was pretty much just me, my mom, and my sister. You know, our, um, our dad wasn't really around at all. My mom did the best she could. And I think just leading me towards the path of Christ more than anything and making sure that we were in church. And it really made me and, you know, got me the courage and the wisdom to be able to say, hey, these are the things that I'm not going to do. You know, I need to be a man and I need to be somebody who, at the time, I'll say somebody who my father was not. I should say growing up, I kind of had it rough. You know, both parents weren't really there. I grew up in a drug house, kind of got into gangs, started a little robbing, stealing. Sold a little weed, little pills on the side here and there. A lot of people getting shot in front of me. I'd have been shot at, guns in my face. With my path to the Dream Center, it was more of just, again, that environment that, you know, so far only the Dream Center has really kind of caught and captivated and said, this is what works. And now that we're here and we're members of the Dream Center and we're helping out and we're trying to inspire and motivate and keep God in the center of all of these young men's lives and these people's lives. So what can you do to help these guys? What can you do to continuously keep them motivated and not have them fall into the pitfalls that are right outside of their front door? I lost about close to 20 friends, maybe a little bit over. The one was well, the closest friend to me that I lost. You know, I lost him in uh, 2013. I got a call. And then they said some people came to his house and shot him through the door. You know, and it was kind of hard for me to deal with it. And then I kind of went to school that next day and I felt like I had an attitude the whole day. And I felt like if anybody would have said anything wrong, it would have, you know, probably triggered me to harm somebody that day. It was really calling on God as my father to say, what should I do? Because as sons, that's what we want to be able to look at our physical fathers and say, Dad, show me this. Dad, teach me this. What am I supposed to do? For me, not having that and not being able to look to someone and say, you showed me right from wrong, you know, that's, it, it's something that I always take with me because for me, it really was God. But I feel like inner city anywhere, it's a lot of kids that's fathers. It's a lot of people, fathers who went to prison, this and that. It's a lot of people, fathers who did, you know, taking the wrong route in life. But yes, in the inner city, I think that's a real big problem, you know, the father figure thing. Matter of fact, role models in general not a lot of role models because everybody doing the same thing. I think, you know, the biggest thing that the Dream Center is doing in terms of um, helping out young men, I would again go back to that community aspect, having somebody to call and talk things through instead of making the first decision that comes to your mind. It's almost like you presented an option that they never knew they had. You know, when people are going through things, the one thing they don't want to be is alone. When I first got involved with the Dream Center, it was uh, something my cousin uh, slash best friend, Patty, you know, and pitched to me. She was like, yeah, we, uh, working with this nonprofit, doing stuff around the neighborhood and stuff. Four to six months after I started serving it, and I just started seeing like, well, they keep coming. They coming every week, they consistent. So I'm like, it's something different, you know, 
they putting in effort, so they, they really here. You know, I really started focusing up, you know, talking to God more, you know, trying to get my life changed, you know, turn it around, be an influence to the kids, you know, because I didn't have no role models or influences growing up, so I wanted to do something different. You know, you look at, you look at the Dream Center as a whole, and if you look at it as a wheel, all the wheels, you know, they have cogs in them, and so I feel like I'm playing a pivotal role as a cog in the wheel to be able to be a bridge to somebody else. I say the leaders of the Dream Center are special to me. They helped me through a lot of personal stuff and they always been there, you know. At times I wanted to give up. They always helped me keep focus. To see where you came from to where you're going now, and it's a big difference. And then it's to the point to where you have an impact now because people look up to you, younger people, that you can go change somebody's life. You can make somebody feel better. You can stop somebody from going through the pain that you went through growing up just by becoming an influence in their life. But somebody has to step up somewhere down the line and do something different to finally start making an impact on the youth. Or it's just gonna be a repeat cycle. Now, how do we as people say, you're the wheel, you are the Dream Center? And I think that's really the biggest message in terms of if I were to tell anybody anything about the Dream Center in terms of you know what, what they do and what we are and how we help and the things that we do, it's, it's not so much that the Dream Center is this big thing that's helping all these people. These people make the Dream Center. No matter how hard you grow up, no matter what tough decisions or things you go through in life, you can always change, as long as you're willing to submit to God. God can help you through a storm. You know, my future with the Dream Center, as I see it, we're gonna continue this mission, serve on the community, expand this into many lives as we can, and show people the truth, show people God, you know? Show people who we really live for. You know, it's just not no one and done thing. You know, we nurture with the people, we really build relationships. You know, we look at everybody as a family. Not somebody I just met, you know, that I just wanna help you and then I'm gonna go on about my merry way. No, we connect and we reconnect. You know, we love, that's what we do, that's the heart, that's the picture, to serve on people. You know, one dream at a time. Awesome stuff there. Um, well, I'm hoping I got a lot to pack in. Uh, yeah, it's just, it's awesome. Uh, translation of the video, discipleship, you know, and the greatest impacts a need or where there's darkness. Uh, today, I'm, my hope is, uh, I felt like, we just recently had our gala, and there was some really awesome, powerful things that came out, and I felt like I was supposed to share some of those, but then as I kept preparing, too, I kind of felt like it might even be like a part two in a way, so we're, here we go. Um, definitely this part of my heart that I wanted to share, a guy named uh, Dino Rizzo, he is the executive director of ARC, which is, by, by and large, the, the, the biggest church planning machine in the country right now. There's nobody doing more of it or um, as much of it as systematically as they are. Um, it's really been anchored and kind of spurred on by Church of the Highlands. And uh, anybody who knows about Church of the Highlands, it's just a ridiculous movement. And, uh, but Dino like, comes into the mix with like, quite a different story. If you know his background, he knows brokenness. He knows how to be in the middle of it from a sense of, the heart of Jesus, and even as a pastoral leader, his church he had in Baton Rouge years years and years ago, 
by far is probably one of the most unique churches that there's ever been um, as a movement and who they are. And he talks about uh, this story. Um, I, I just love it. He talks about as a kid growing up, he had this classic, you know, elementary time, you know how it is, show and tell um, for the class. They, they send the sign-up sheet around, and um, it kind of comes down to him and some other guy, and he signs up, and he's pumped, right? He writes down his favorite G.I. Joe. And then, of course, this other kid who he's kind of, you know, competitive with writes down what he's going to bring. And, of course, what did his, this other kid write down? G.I. Joe, right? And so, you know, it all gets underway, and, um, you know, it starts going on through the week. And then, of course, they'll get to, guess who gets to present for show and tell first, though? Not Dino, his friend Johnny with the G.I. Joe. And then, true story, uh, when he was a kid. And so this kid presents his G.I. Joe, but when he does, it's in a shiny little box. You know, anybody, you know, collector's edition, you know? brand new, and he's like, come on, really? And he's going on and on about it, and Dino's feeling like, oh, wow, and all the other kids. And then the teacher um, says, well, Johnny, why don't you pass it around? And he just shrieks, no. He's like, I'll tell you what I'm going to do with this. I'm going to go home and put it under lockbox and key where I have it, and nobody's going to touch this thing. And then as, you know, the story goes, um, you know, of course, now Dino gets his chance, and, and Dino has a whole different take. He comes up, and his G.I. Joe has got the leg duct taped on. It's got the hair, like, blown off. It's discolored and, and, and all this stuff, and he says, this is my G.I. Joe. And he goes, and this thing plays out in the back of my yard by my, my big dog with the chain in the mud. He's like, this thing has been through every battle. It's been kicked around. It's been blown up. You see this leg? That was when I, I strapped an M80 to its back. And he goes, and it keeps coming back for more. And, you know, and the kids kind of elate and jubilation, like, oh, man, yeah, that's how it's supposed to be. And uh, I wonder if he, like, stretched this fact, and he said, you know, he tossed it to Johnny. I'm like, oh, come on, man, really? Elementary <laughs> kid. But I want, I, want to hear, uh, I want you to hear what, what Dino said about it, and um, it's, this is powerful, and I've, I feel like I had to read the quote, and I did it to Gala, too. Um, he goes, I hadn't kept my G.I. Joe in its original box locked in a closet. It had been to war, and it had more than its share of bumps and bruises. The other kids in the class gave me a standing ovation. I mentioned that. He goes, far too often, people come to church, sing, a little, hear a message, all within the walls of a church building, but their lives remain protected and secure, almost like they live in a box. We wonder why our people aren't more passionate, more committed to reach people with the gospel, and more willing to sacrifice to care for the disadvantaged. Don't get me wrong, I'm all for wonderful music and teaching, that's important, but if we thumb through the pages of the gospel, we see a different model of leadership. Jesus' life and ministry are the ultimate example of show and tell. His followers saw him heal the sick, feed the hungry, and care for the poor. And while he was doing those things, he taught them. That's his model. He showed them. He told them. Sometimes the model in our churches is limited to telling with very little showing. I'm not criticizing or condemning, and, and if you know Dino, he's not. 
I'm just pointing out a different model, one that I stumbled on and found incredibly effective, one that I see on every page of the accounts of the life of Jesus. I've learned that show and tell is the most powerful way to supercharge the hearts and release the energy of the people in our churches. And um, it, it's just so true. You know, um, Bethel just released a statement, um, and Bill Johnson, Bethel, they're awesome. They're amazing. I love those guys. I uh, actually got to go out there this year, first time. They're the real deal. And they released a statement that said, uh, the millennials are leaving the institutional church, but they might just be saving Christianity. You know, what, what does that mean? Man, wow, and why did Bethel say it? You know, um, what, what they are saying is, you know, could it be that just the framework of, of the institutional church or a church that has become institutional has that gotten away from the heart of God? And the millennials, and, and many others too, they're just revealing what's happening. They're revealing the great disconnect. And I really believe that, that we're, we're, we're totally in that time. I, I believe that from my life and, and, and what we're, we're living. I look at the period of the Reformation. If you go back to Martin Luther, you may or may not know this, but the Catholic Church had been the, the institutional church to the nth degree. But there was a difference between that church and maybe who the church is right now. Y yeah, maybe the church now has become the, insti the institutional church, and it's become ineffective, and a lot of us are becoming the product of that. But that church in those times was just plain oppressive and just plain using oppressive power and, and, and totally blocking people from really knowing God, growing. Um, of course, only priests had access to the word. Many priests couldn't even read it. It was just in Latin. I mean, you're not growing and knowing God if you're not getting to the word. And of course, Martin Luther comes along and devotes his life to getting the word to the common man. And it revolutionized Christianity. We are here today because of it. Now, you know, what I feel like maybe what, what we could see is that one difference. I don't know that the institutional church, and especially here in America, is not that church. Maybe some, a few, or cults. But the condition might be more a result of the people, a more of a result of us coming and sitting and not doing anything about it. Um, you know, I was really torn. I, I was telling somebody earlier today, I, I was like, oh, God, you want me to be vulnerable about that today? I don't want to. Um, you know, I was torn really to come teach today even, you know, and I've, I've not told anybody this. First time I've told anybody this. I've actually, now I'm not some big itinerant speaker and um, where it's like, man, I've got just call after call, week after week. That's not me. I do get invitations to speak. But these past couple years, I've really turned them down, and even a couple good friends, and I've had a couple friends even disappointed in me about it. Why? Why today was a struggle for me? Because I'm concerned that I don't want to feed hearing only. But James said, do. Be doers of the word. And... Um, it just can't be a good message anymore, and, and we just leave and nothing changes. Um, and this is the challenge to myself and, and to me. And, and so what do we do? We, we go back, and we, we got to drill into what, what was this in the beginning? What was Jesus? And I, I think and I hope that we can pack some of this in and, and talk about that, and we could leave here with something here today. 
Um, I'm going to go to uh, Luke, I believe it's 4, yep, 4, 16 through 19. So here's Jesus on the scene, and it says, He went to Nazareth, Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That was the mission of Jesus, and in essence, it was the mission of the church. You know, the, 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 the most simple truth as a Christian and as a believer, we are imitators of Christ. You know, Jesus said, go out into all the world and make disciples. Disciple unto what? To become like Jesus, to be like him, to uphold this mission. The beautiful thing about Jesus is Jesus emptied himself of his divine attributes, and he, he took on the limitation of humanity. Why? Because the first Adam failed. God's intention with humanity, it failed, it brought the curse, it brought sin. So Jesus comes back as a redeemer, and, and, and God's love is so huge, he takes on the limitation of humanity, and he goes, now I'm going to show you a picture as a man on how a man can relate to God. So, so Jesus wasn't operating in his divine power, even in his miracles. You know, that wasn't from being seated at the right hand of God. That was as a man who trusted in the Father and operated under the power of the Holy Spirit. And so that was the picture and the model, but it wasn't like he was just trying to say, just go and do. It was the offspring of a beautiful love between him and the Father. And, and you know, when that love overtakes you, it moves you, you know, to the, you know, the result, the suffering of the cross. Jesus lived this radical, uncomfortable life, and of course, it went against the institution of the church or the temple of that day, too, and a lot of people weren't happy with him about that. But it was the truth because he was redeeming the common man back unto God. And I'm so thankful for that today. He quoted this from Isaiah 61. And um, it's a powerful passage. There's a bigger picture here. I'm not going to have time to break it down like I did a couple weeks ago. Um, but he quotes that from Isaiah 61. You rewind back, you've got Isaiah 53. That's the messianic prophecy of what he did where um, he was wounded for our transgressions, but by his stripes we are healed, um, Isaiah 53, 5. And then, you, you know, you fast forward a couple chapters later, Isaiah 56, you got the promise unto the Gentiles. So, you know, Jesus comes through the lineage of the Jews to redeem them because the Jews were supposed to be the light, uh, the nation that's the light unto the nations of the world. But then the, with that, there's the affirmation and the promise to the Gentiles. Thank you because I don't think any of us have real true Jewish blood in here. And then you get into Isaiah 58, and you've got this other picture, too, of who God's saying his intention we're supposed to be, you know, as his people. And he talks about a fast that pleases God, and more or less what he does is he says, you know, what's this fasting you're doing? You're going through the motions. You're going to temple. You're, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to fast for this and that, but you guys aren't fasting for the right reasons, you guys, there's no result. You know, I'm not hearing you. You know, and, um, and he says this. Uh, this is uh, verse, okay, verse 6. And he says this. 
Is this not the fast I have chosen, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? Uh, Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked, that you cover him, and not hide yourself from your own flesh, you know, your own people. Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily. And your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. You know, what he's saying is, this is the result of relationship. And and, and this should be the offspring of what you're doing. And this this is life. This is life, life, life. This is... You know, if you've got a dry land in your heart, as, as, as this is the offspring of who you are and who you're supposed to be, life of God is flowing. I mean, th- this is exactly what Dino was saying, what we opened up with. Um, you know, he goes on, uh, verse 10, if you extend your soul to the hungry, you satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness, and your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually, satisfy your soul in drought, Strengthen your bones, and you shall be like a watered garden, and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And I love it, you know, and, and, and here's the results. Verse 12, those from among you shall build the old waste places, and you shall raise up the foundations of many generations, and you shall be called the repair of the breach, the restore of the streets you dwell in. And what's neat about that scripture, so that's Isaiah 58, 12, I didn't get to this, but in Isaiah 61, we opened up with it. That was the quote that Jesus had in Luke 4, 16 through 19. So he quoted, so what he did was he quoted Isaiah 61. I didn't read this from Isaiah 61, 4. So after the mission, it says, verse 4, they shall repair the old ruins. They shall raise up the former desolations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. It's almost like a repeat. This is God's heart. This is what he wants. This is our destiny, church. This is who we're supposed to be. And Jesus is our model. And so let's see here if we can unpack this a little bit with the short amount of time that we have, you know, um, what this has done for me, I, I feel like the last five years, you know, I want to put the brand of the Dream Center aside. This is much bigger than this for us, guys. If this is only a brand and a machine, God, we missed it. We're institutional then too. And not, not my leadership, that's not who we're going to be. We're going to be the church. That's who we are. You know, and one of the biggest things that I've learned, and it's been painful, it's been awkward, it's been uncomfortable, and guess what? God's telling us, well, there's going to be more sacrifice ahead. <laughs> really, God? Um, you know, I, 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 this is my own quote here, but I'll just read it as I have it. Um, it is the fact that I'd be willing to leave my place to go to the places that God cares about people the most, the desolate places, the waste places, broken places, sick places, In these places, I would personally seek to know and care for as many people as possible, never treating one person like the masses, but loving them for who they are and who has God made them to be. You know, put that together in tandem with the other great mission. So go make disciples into all the world. So we go into this darkness to what? We're on the same redemption mission that Jesus lived. God wants to redeem that. And once... His light is breaking through. He's not done, right? He's going to turn them into a mini Christ. 
a follower of Jesus. That's our job. That, that's who we are. You know, so I, I talked about a couple things I've learned. The gospel and the good news and discipleship is the calling for every believer, not the institutional church. I think what happens is we think that, you know, or we just unknowingly, we put the church in that position. But that's the position of the believer, guys. You know, my, my, my daughter right now, you know, we're uh, in a fun time getting to disciple my kids, and uh, I'm learning. I'm learning how to disciple my kids. Uh, they're, they're teaching me as much as I'm teaching them. And my daughter is really starting to shine her light at school, and, man, I tell you what, what's prevalent in public school these days, man, the sensual, sexual lifestyles and all that. Well, she sits to a couple of girls who claim to be bisexual, and, and she's already having to overcome persecution because guess what people think about her? She might be a weird, you know, bisexual too. She ain't <laughs> at all. My, daughter, my daughter's a healthy girl. And she's been trying to get them to, to come to church, and that's great. But I remember um, going, well, hold up. Wait a minute, though. I'm glad. That's taking you courage. You're learning. But, but you're going to be the one who leads them to Jesus. You're going to be the one who's going to lead them and disciple them. The machine can't do that. And that's what we're showing you what to do. And uh, she's not comfortable about that, guys. But what I love it is the spirit is moving. She's learning. And, of course, my other kids are starting to learn and see what that looks like, too. So it's for every believer. Number two, um, God's personal. You know, God's not trying to drill out this machine. This thing gets back down to relationships. And, and that's what it's all about. It's got to be a relationship-driven movement, uh, movement. I don't have a lot of time to break that down right now. I'm going to keep moving. Um, point number three, this thing, guys, is not convenient. This is not convenient at all. It's very inconvenient. You know when we outreach the Dream Center? At the most inconvenient times when we don't want to give up time. You know why? Because that's when people are available. And so it's like God brought us back to our knees again because we had to make a decision on giving up some time and it was like God was challenging us, like, are we going to keep going, you know? But don't, don't get this wrong. This ain't a message like we're, like, letting it take over everything and now we don't have a life. That's not it. It's more or less, it's a common thread in who we are, and it, it, it's, it's fitting with what we're doing. So, you know, my family's a part of it, too. So it's not like my family's compartmentalized over here, and now I'm just, you know, a one-on-one -on -one evangelistic machine, and they're all forgotten about. No. Their discipleship's taking place because they're being brought in with it. And really, I know that's God's heart. So it, it is not convenient. Um, you know, we've had to really reorder our life, look at our family as a whole and, like, every aspect because compartmentalizing and going, this is our section to just preach or, 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 or evangelize, um, go to darkness, and, you know, and then this is our section, like, over here where, you know, nothing gets over there, and then this section here, that doesn't work. And when you're in relationships, it definitely doesn't work. You know, the heart of the people that we're getting so close to, I, I can't confine them to one time block in the week. I love them. And, and, and God is just doing a thing, you know. And, and so this thing, modeling the life of Jesus, um, see if we can get through a couple more things here. I'm doing a little better than I thought. Um, 
couple things to think about, and like I said, I'm, I'm trying to pack in a lot and a little bit of time. I'm certainly not breaking everything down like maybe I like to, but hopefully we're going to walk away with something for this. What is the Lord speaking to us? Um, important point, so how does this happen? What does this look like? You can't, can't throw a challenge out here without painting that other picture. Um, couple things here. Um, the other thing to understand is this. We are all missionaries, this perspective that there's special missionaries out there, and then if we just sow our dollars into them, we've done our job. No, no. God's expectation with our, that's expected of every believer. We're supposed to give. And if, if we've been empowered with more stewardship to give at a higher level, that's God's expectation, but it's not discipleship. That's the believer. It won't happen without every single one of us. We are all missionaries, every one of us. You know, I don't know, say this. I am, let's do that again, we're men here, I am a missionary. And so our job is to find out what is the missionary group we're called to here. Yeah, there are people sent to China and this and that, and they're great, they need financial support, but who's your mission here? Um, the best way to learn discipleship and evangelism, too, if you don't feel confident, is just to get out there and do it. We have this principle, this governing principle. Um, it's become a governing principle in the Dream Center, and it's embracing the awkward. I, I've never had the most awkward moments in my life getting to know people in the inner city. And diversity, at times, we've been very, unfortunately, the, the, the scales have been imbalanced. Too many white people at one time. Too many black people at one time. Not enough of both. And it's like, you know what, we can wait till forever until that all aligns. No, we're just going to go. Working through all that stuff. And, um, yeah, there's been persecution. But the last time I checked in the gospel, it said we would be persecuted. There would be suffering. Um, and, and then we know we're doing our job. You know, but we, man, I feel like I stumble through these conversations. I'm Greg. You know, just can't even hardly, you know, get, get with my name. But, like, the beautiful process has happened. You actually get to know people. The Holy Spirit will anoint you. And when it's relational, it's just getting to know somebody. You put your agenda aside. It's a weird paradox. I'm doing God's mission of redeeming, but then i got to let go of it as I go. <laughs> so you enter in these relationships, and you just commit to it. Commitment is a key. You know, uh, I had this other example here. You know, we've been impacting some of the Muslim communities starting to. And um, guess what? I didn't know squat about Islam. I thought I did. You know why I've learned? I've actually learned a lot. And I, I, I get in these little bit of the really like, they're healthy debates. They're not the, the bad kind. And if you were looking at it, you'd be like, dang, like, wow, I think Greg knows a lot. Whoa, how does he know that? Man, he's pretty good with Islam. I got a copy of the Quran in my truck. I'm reading it. I'm reading that thing. Because you know why? I'm going to know what I'm, I'm getting into. And um, I'm not an expert, but because I'm engaging the lost, I'm getting in darkness, it's forced me to go there. I've had to get, go through all this awkward, and that's what's going to happen to all of us. It's not, I, please don't look at me as some gifted person. I'm not. This, this, is all, this can be all of us. If he's calling you to a group, and you engage it and you get awkward, God will supply. God will lead you and inspire you to engage the things that you need. Um, and so, once again, a couple things for what this can look like or how do we get there. 
One, it's got to be intentional. Now, there's this, this thing going around. It's good, it's true, and we've heard it a lot, lifestyle Christianity. It's very true. we got to be ready in season and out of season, ready to move in the spirit and do a bold demonstration of the gospel at any time, right? But I think what can happen is we can take that, and it's only part of the message. We're just waiting for an encounter. Then I'm going to do it. I'm going to move in the spirit. And then we lose the intentional. Like, if we, just, if we took that approach, there would be no movement of the Dream Center. Nothing, none of that would be happening. It's all intentional and commitment. It won't just happen, I promise you guys. Um, you know, LeBron James, you know, contrary to popular belief, he did not just happen. He's had a ton of time in the gym. And so we've got to engage, and that's that whole reordering that part of our life. Um, and it's twofold. It's engaging the lost, go preach the good news to the poor. Um, that's the, the, the Greek word. Uh, I, man, I'm going to mess this up. Yugaga, uh, Lizo, something like that. Okay. You can just Google it now and play the Greek pronunciation. But it's good news. That's where evangelism comes from. It's engaging the lost, and it's discipling. And it is our mission. God has made us to do this, and there's no other way that people are going to know God or be redeemed to him. Um, number two, just said it in not so many words, but we share gospel with those who aren't saved. Um, wow, I'm getting ahead of myself. Overcoming the awkward, trusting and expecting God to move in his, move with his spirit. Uh, persistence. It's not going to be comfortable. And then number three, and I've been saying this too, discipling. Um, now that somebody's saved, they need to grow up. The minimum step we need is just to be committed to the relationship. We don't have to feel like we've got to be a teacher. It's start with being committed to the relationship and, and the Word of God. And I put this here. You know, um, one of the things we're doing within discipleship is we're engaging the Word with those we're leading. So we're reading the Word together, like getting on similar Bible plans together, talking about it. We actually are discipling. There's like no like teaching or preaching like this. It's all relationship engagement, and then it's getting the word out and chopping it up. That's what, that's what discipleship's looked like. That's where the most growth is happening for us right now. And so, um, anyways, guys, I'm about out of time. Can I pray? Um, I threw a lot at you. I know I did. Um, and I know God's moving in ways with some of us, so let's, let's just see what the Spirit speaks to us. And I just want you to know, God's ripping my heart apart in all this too, guys, so don't look at me like I've got it together. Um, this is very challenging for me, some of this, so just know that uh, I am in this with you. Amen? All right, let's do it. Um, Father, in the name of Jesus, God, uh, just taking a minute, we just want Spirit to speak. Um, repentance, God. Repentance is changing the way we think, changing the way we see things. And God, uh, you want to move us, God. I pray you speak to men right now, God. I, I thank you for that video, Lord God, with Brother Kenny, Brother Damo. Lord God, talking about the process, Lord God. And God, I believe that you want to speak to us men. Lord God, you want to speak to men where, our, where is our mission some of us who aren't engaging, 
or for whatever reasons, we're playing it safe, like Dino said. But you want to move us out. You want us to fight through the awkward. And I thank you. That's where the miracles are. That's where the miracles happen. And God, I pray for these miracles. I thank you, Lord God, that the boldness will come. I thank you healings will come. Lord, your spirit will move. But we got to engage the darkness. So God, speak. And I pray above that, speak to men specifically, but I pray it would move men to engage and to commit, Lord God, for the long haul, Lord God, for their mission. And God, I thank you, God, too, that you continue to stir up community, Lord, that there can be a community of us doing it. And so, Spirit, I pray that you move, and I pray if there's any men right now, Lord God, um, maybe they're just struggling with where they're at with Jesus. I pray, Spirit, you you just move, Lord God, too, in that one-on-one relationship and with the love of the Father. I thank you for just how available that is in Christ And God, um, that we can be confident in our righteousness and walk out of the power from that love. So thank you for this day, Lord God. I thank you, Lord God. You compel us, Lord God, to stick in and stay this thing out. Thank you for each and every man in here and for those who are engaging this already in levels and you're just calling them further. I pray these things today in Jesus' name and everybody said, amen.